The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. This is Voices of Unity. I'm Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise so that you can dive deep into spiritual topics and discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. Our, our guests on Voices of Unity are sometimes unity ministers, but also others who have a body of work. They have something special that they have done a lot of study in and they want to share. So they come and stay for several weeks at a time. And we are in week five. This is the final week with Reverend Kelly Isola, who has been talking about Unity's co-founder, Myrtle Fillmore. Kelly's made a study of Myrtle. She knows lots of the unpublished works of Myrtle. She knows lots of details about the story of Myrtle. And it's been fascinating to listen to her talk about it. We've talked about the basic story. We've talked about Myrtle's healing beliefs and teachings and principles. And so today, Kelly, we promised that it would be sort of experiential, that we will take Myrtle's work and turn it into, what, meditations? What are we going to do today? Yeah, so we will have a meditation. It's one of my favorites that uh, she sends. She uses the story of um, Jesus sending out the disciples to go, you know, go forth and as the story is, Jesus is like, I'm not the only one. Like, y'all need to do this. Right. Go Don't out there and to me. Yeah, carry on these teachings. Yes. Um, and um, so she uses that example as to send out, you know, from uh, to every cell to sort of that your cells or you have millions and millions and millions of these audience members which is your body, your cells. And so you're sending out, that's who you're talking to. That's So So it's a meditation of that, of going forth, and, and we'll do that a little bit, but um, and in as a meditation. And so it's something you could, because it's saved, the show is archived, something you could return to over and over to mm-hmm. listen to and some nice music in the background and just hear Myrtle's words. And then a few other things that I pulled were, um, I think I, I've mentioned it, uh, may have mentioned it a couple times, but she, she actually wrote poetry and she wrote songs and she even took, um, uh, we f- come by it honestly in unity of taking a, an older song and changing the words. Uh, she did the same thing. Um, so there's, so I did bring along, one of them I mentioned was Ave Maria. So I don't know that we'll get to it, but I did bring that along, her words of Ave Maria, okay. which I think is very, it's it's sort of shocking. I'm like, oh, can you change the yeah, words? I don't think you can Maria? change those words. Don't, doesn't lightning come from the sky or something? But we, we have some music directors. The record should show. We have some music directors in Unity who are very strict about not changing yes. other composers' yes. words. Yes. They think there are copyright issues, but also just maybe ethical issues. Yep. Yep. And other, in other churches, we feel free. 
Yes. Just make it up as we go. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, you know, it's just, uh, I just brought it along. I don't know if we'll get to it. But, oh, I'm but not, I've been curious this whole okay, time okay. about how she changed yeah, those words. Yeah, so, but don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Um, okay. And, and just some of her poetry and some of her more things that are more prose. Uh, I think one of the things, our first week we started off with the, the conversation about the danger of a single story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for many people, they have, you know, this one idea of Myrtle, you know, almost like a stereotype. And, um, you know, a stereotype has some truth in it. That's how it becomes a stereotype. But it is not the whole story. And so um, so that's one of the reasons that I, I you know, several years ago, or even longer, but really started to, to take a deeper dive and um, just find out a little bit more who this woman was, because uh, I knew there was much more than what I read in How to Let God Help You and in Myrtle Fillmore's Healing Letters. You just have to go uh, trolling for the gold, you know, and, and I have the benefit of being here at Unity Village so I can go hang out in the archives and bug, you know, the, the right. archivists and try and you know go through things and it's it's really what one of the things that I find so enjoyable about it is that there's a lot of things that are are filed and labeled you know with particular sort of keywords um, but keywords from 80 years ago you know 100 years ago so <laughs> by today's labeling and filing standards um, some things are not so easy so I kind of stumble across some some interesting things and actually one of them is um, this book is called Confidences, and um, what what uh, the author's last name is Boyd, um, and I can't remember the first name. But what what he did was he went um, around uh, and collected from different people this list of like my one extravagance. It's this list that they would fill out, and so my one extravagance, my secret sorrow, and there's there's like twelve things, and so um, and I just came across it by accident because I was looking for something else, mm-hmm. um, and so I wanted to. I thought I would, you know, offer that up so people can, you know, before we move a little bit of personal side, you know, different side of Myrtle. You mean before. Myrtle filled it out and answered his questions? Yes. Yes, she did. Yeah. Before you tell us, I want you to get credit for going through the unpublished manuscripts because they're not typed. Not all of them. Myrtle's handwriting, and it's not easy. No. So I appreciate your doing the work you've done there. Well, and. some of them are, um, and interestingly, I found out that the, that that there are that ones are handwritten that you now find you can also find. Oh, someone typed that up fifty years ago, but it's uh-huh. not necessarily in the same filing drawer. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot that's not been been transcribed, and what's um, what I find really fascinating about it is that you know Myrtle was a teacher, so her penmanship is quite precise, <laughs> you know, and perfect. And then there's the little notes because we all do it, you know. It's the you know sticky notes of the 19th century kind of thing that she had. Uh, but then you come across these little bits of paper that have this, you know, that look like a doctor or pharmacist wrote, mm-hmm. and you you sort of turn it sideways. Or I run it through Photoshop and and start to and tease out, <laughs> try to tease out the the contrast, and so I can kind of make up the words and. If you see enough writing, you oh that's Myrtle's R or that's mm-hmm. Myrtle's T, and um, and some of it is how they were taught to do handwriting, right? Um, which I've now come to learn a few years ago that they don't actually teach penmanship in school anymore, or cursive writing, Curs- apparently. Yeah, apparently, no, not at all. 
I guess they expect everyone to be on a keyboard from the time I they're guess. two. I guess. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But so I, yes, it is. Sometimes it's a gift because it requires you to slow down mm-hmm. um, and be with the content and try to make out the words um, and recognize where you're trying to fill in what you want the word to be. And maybe oh. it's not. Oh. I know. It's a really, uh, there's more, even unbeknownst to me, it, just trying to decipher her own penmanship, you know, she's coming through offering moments of healing, you know, how noticing my own cognitive bias or my own preference that I want a word to be. And, and when I realize it's not that word, I'm like, hmm, um, I wanted it to be a different word. Or I might get, oh, great, that's a great word. <laughs> So did she say some things you wish she hadn't? Um, I think there's things she said that uh, I wish she had explained a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the, the tricky things about reading Charles or Myrtle Fillmore is um, very often I find I need to read them in uh, chronological order because like you and I, there's an evolution of thought you know, there's an evolution of belief. There may be an underpinning, you know, one thread, a golden thread that never changes. Like there's one presence and one power. You know, God is source and, you know, omnipotent and omnipresent. But but there's, you can see with both of them sort of, you know, shifting up a little bit and changing a little bit of language or how to express or adding new vocabulary. And I think it's important to notice that because otherwise you you're back at that danger of a single story, and all of us have evolved. So she, um, so things I wish she would have explained a little bit more is there is the chapter in Healing Letters that's titled No Incurable Disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that trips people up. Um, it's because she flat out says there's no incurable disease. Right. And that's one of those that needs a little unpacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that while I, the backstory of kind of, you don't have the letter the person wrote. And so you have to keep in mind with those that she's writing. It doesn't mean she doesn't believe that, but also I have to keep in mind that she's writing for the person that wrote in and potentially writing in a way they can hear. Um, and and sometimes very bluntly, sometimes very directly, and sometimes um, a little bit softer so maybe the person can hear like trying to you can tell when someone is sort of still holding on to maybe some old beliefs but has been introduced to new ones but hasn't made the leap yet because you have to let go you know you have to but wait I feel very I've been comfortable with this way of thinking about Jesus for you know 40 years and now I got to move over here and how do you know as Dorothy Pearson used to say don't go messing with my Jesus right (laughs) um and so so that's one of those, the no incurable disease. I, I When I teach healing and wholeness and I teach anything about Myrtle, we, we spend time talking about that. And um, one of the places it goes, I think, that I don't think Myrtle intended was that um, – that you are solely responsible for your disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not um, what she – I don't know. I mean I've taught healing and wholeness too and she seems to be pretty clear that – Illness is something wrong in your consciousness. Yes. And I think back out a little bit further, what's in my consciousness is also informed by collective consciousness. Certainly. Yes. Um, So that's what I mean when I I say it's – I think 
you know, had a little more been given around the context of that no incurable disease, um, that that you are solely like you live in a bubble and you are solely responsible for your illness. And I think it gets a little dangerous with metaphysical malpractice when we go down that road mm-hmm. because if I, I have to back it out a little bit, like where did that idea come from that what you hold in consciousness, you know, plays out in our body because I don't disagree at all with that. And where does what I have in consciousness, you know, how is that informed? You know, it's the, the lens right, I view the world. We are living in an ocean of belief in mm-hmm. aging and sickness. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, eventually it'll happen to you. Yeah. Belief. Yeah. Well, she and she it's not she didn't she knew that death would come. She mm-hmm. knew, you know, a couple of days before she died. You know, she knew that I think I'm coming to the end of my life. Right. So she wasn't um, she it wasn't that she uh, at least at that point, it wasn't thinking I'm going to live forever. Um, so, um, and, and, um, but she still kept going with, you know, principle. She still got up and walked around Silent Unity and said hello and, and house people, you know, bringing joy to, to people, uh, lifting people up and, um, being that presence. You know, she very, that's one of those other threads that runs through everything is that you are, um, uh, you know, you are God. You are spirit in this mm-hmm. manifest form, and your job is to express God. Mm-hmm. And that's another place that I wish she would have gone a little bit further with, like, give me. But I, I, I put it in the the place of the times that she lived in, um, that being in service was just you just did. It wasn't, right. you know, it was like the way you get up and you brush your teeth or you make breakfast, or you feed the kids, you know. It's just part of your day of helping other people. But it's not like that these days. And so I don't – so I wish that there had been more specificity when she says – talks about being in service and expressing God and doing truth. Like say a little bit more, you know, because really the only – you know, I when I bring a whole bunch of information together, a whole bunch of writing, I, I come to, you know, my own educated conclusion. But I still never know because I can't really talk to her. Um I can ask her in a dream. I asked her in in my own near-death experience when she – that was one of my conversations was with her. Um, But – and I wish that um, she had spoken more about her own personal life. Um, She didn't say a lot. Oh, that just wasn't done in those days. Right. Yes. So all of my my wishes are from the 21st century, you know, projecting onto 100 years ago. Right. I think not only did you not talk about yourself, um, but they also didn't want to interfere with the principle they were teaching by making it personal. Right. Uh, I told you I'd been doing research on We Wisdom, and I may have already told you this, but after three or four years, the children reading We Wisdom demanded to see a picture of Myrtle and the boys. Mm. And so in 1898, she had them all sit for a photograph, which I guess was a big deal to have done then, and put it in the magazine so the children could see who it was coming from. I love that. But (laughs) she was more personal in We Wisdom. Yeah. Well, she says in in the back of um, How to Let God Help You, she does does say that, um, you know, they had had reached a point where – and this was before – 
um, really before unity took hold and, and unity started to, um, you know, the, the Society for Silent Help and prayer ministry and, and teaching. And um, But she, she says that um, they were a sickly lot. They had come to a place where they were unable to provide for their children. They were in the midst of gloom. You know, she was having all these physical ailments. Um, Charles was, you know, having difficulty with um, work and income. And so it was we what we generally get um from teaching you know from reading is the new and improved myrtle so to speak you know after some work had been done mm-hmm. um and then she talks about um um you know the difficulties they had in the you know the late 1870s early 1880s becoming a family and she says um that she um that she try i thought uh, soon came to me that I tried to keep my feelings to myself, taking great pride in the fact that I never let anyone know just how I felt when anything displeased or hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gee, what? I know. I found that I did not feel as sweet and poised on the inside as I seemed outwardly. Um, I began to watch and to redeem the state of mind. I determined to handle all that came to me before I swallowed it and allowed it to irritate, cut, and weaken my nerves and organs. Okay, now today we would say feel your feelings, Myrtle. Yes, we would. You're entitled to feel the way you feel. Right. You don't have to be sweet and spiritual all the time. Just don't pour a concrete foundation there and build a house. Right. If you want to pitch a tent, we could probably let that happen. <laughs> yeah, well, it's that's part of that dangerous single story thing is to um, know the context Right, it's the same thing when teaching Bible. If you're gonna, if you're gonna teach Bible and you're gonna use Scripture, you got to put on your two thousand year old Hebrew eyes, right, and understand the context in which it was written. So I think um, for the Fillmores, you have to put on your Victorian eyes. Yes, um, she. So for her, it was that was her way of keeping her thoughts and feelings free of not getting hooked while she tried to focus on. You know, here's, you know, that I'm, I, as a child of God, I don't inherit sickness, that, that, you know, health and wholeness is my birthright, and I am free, I'm unlimited, and, and, and it's just very clear there's an either-or thinking, mm-hmm. and we've just evolved. It just, we know more. Right. We know a lot more about psychology mm-hmm. than they did. We also know a lot more about the Bible than mm-hmm. they did. Yep. Well, they, that's interesting because I've, I've, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that there's, you know, they use scripture throughout their writing, and uh, but it's very often the it's not a huge variety. You know, there's some some of the same right. scriptural references used repeatedly, and some just historically inaccurate. Like, I've, yeah, I think Myrtle referred to the first five books of the Bible being written by Moses. Yeah, which is. Clearly impossible, but was right. a common belief for a long time. Right. And then some of Paul's letters that we know now were not really Paul. Right. So I, sorry I got away from the list you brought, and I want to hear it. So this is like a ma- like a magazine questionnaire? Yeah, kind of. It's It was just called Confidences, the, the little booklet. Uh-huh. And so, um, so she says, um, my one extravagance, movies. Oh. I know. <laughs> my pet economy, saving my breath. Interesting. I know. Yeah. So, and that's all it says. So I'm like, well, say a little bit more about that. My unacknowledged fear. Yeah. I love this one. My unacknowledged fear. Profitless conversation. Okay. Yeah. Not into small talk. No. 
which made me feel really good because I'm really not good at small talk. Mm-hmm. I'm just not like I'm not a I joke with people and people, are, you know, like if you want to have conversations that's snorkeling, uh, I'm good for a few minutes, but I'm a scuba diver. Yeah. And she's saving her breath. So, yes, not engaging in idle chatter. Yes. Make it all count. My bet noir, which is sort of like your um, kind of like your pet peeve, you know, your your dark, icky, annoying uh, duty. Uh-huh. And copy for the printer. <laughs> Maybe she had trouble with deadlines, Kelly. Could be. I'm in good company then. Mm-hmm. My unconfessed weakness. Cookies. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Sugar. Yes. Myrtle had a sugar. Wait, it gets better. Okay. There's another one. <laughs> uh, my secret sorrow, a lazy pen. And she's not writing enough? I, that's her secret sorrow, a lazy pen. So I don't know if it because it runs out of ink or she's doesn't she like me. I'm like, I need to be writing more like right. I didn't write today and I, I really need to. Mm-hmm. Um, my motto, keep everlastingly as is. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Keep everlastingly. She uses the word everlastingly. Or everlasting, everlastingly, or everlasting. Um, I think that's her way because she uses it periodically. It's sort of like abiding. Mm-hmm. Keep keep what is everlasting as is. Kind of. That's okay. how I interpreted it. Huh. Yeah. Um, a fi- my favorite beverage. Here you go. Goes with the cookies. <laughs> Adam's ale. Really? Mm-hmm. Do we think that was alcoholic ale? I don't. I tried to Google it a little bit, and I couldn't find much. Um, I don't know why it wouldn't be, but it maybe not. It may be like um, you know, like we call an Arnold Palmer is iced tea mm-hmm, and lemonade. Mm-hmm. So an Adam's Ale could just be ginger a, ale, could be root beer, yep, something. Yep, sarsaparilla. Um, um, my uh, my mascot, omnipotent courage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have picked an animal or something ordinary there. Yep. A mascot. My mascot, Omnipotent Courage. Okay. And then my favorite superstition, a man is a man is human by the thoughts he keeps. I know. What do you what do you think she meant? Um, well, that, um, if I'm reading her handwriting correctly, too, you have to keep that in mind, um, that, uh, that whatever thoughts, and it's interesting, my, you know, a superstition, um, that I'm not sure how superstition would have been, um, interpreted then, but, um, by the thoughts that they're keeping, this is, this is your it's it almost sounds to me like you're in this box and like I believe that my, I'm human just simply by the thoughts that I keep um not sort of there's more to the picture so oh. um you know a superstition of you know my personality is all I am yeah okay yeah and uh, yeah um and then my unlucky day yeah one of fruitless effort Wow, she wanted to make every minute count. Mm-hmm. Every word, every minute. With a cookie and some Adam's ale. <laughs> <laughs> I love knowing that about her. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> she 
just the that's why I like the the little personal things and and um you know getting copy to the printer, like ugh. Right. Here it is again. Right, you know, another deadline. Didn't I just do this last week? You know, right. kind of thing. So, yeah, I really, um, I'm like, ah, when I came across that, and you know, and Charles is, you know, they asked Charles too, and um, and his is, uh, his pet economy is no Christmas presents, coming or going. <laughs> huh. He didn't want people spending money on gifts. Okay. His one extravagant was extravagance. I thought, not sure how you. Put that in today's extravagance. Five cent dishes at the Unity Inn. That was a big splurge? Apparently. Huh. Yep. Okay. And his his favorite motto, everything is lovely and the goose honks high. That's, you know, he fairly sizzled with zeal. His unlucky day, none. All days look lucky to me. Is, wow. this a, is this not an entrepreneur or what? This is, yes. Right. He's Tony Robbins. Yes. And my mascot, true words, rightly spoken. Okay. I want, I'd want. i love to know their definition of mascot. Yeah. I'd have to do more research. Didn't do that one. It's very easy to get go down other rabbit holes. Um, there must be lots of them when you're doing this research. There is. I it's it's one. I probably would have more uh, more things, you know, written up, typed up from the handwriting, and, and other things more organized. But I always get sucked into another box of right. you know handwritten things, and it's labeled you know gratitude. But you start going through it, and you're like, okay, this isn't gratitude, but I'm like this. Okay, I think we need to get a historian, maybe our archivist, on Adam's Ale. Yeah. And find out what it was and start remanufacturing it from Unity. That would be a great or idea. at least serve it in the at the bookstore coffee bar. If we ever find out what it is. Ale yeah. and cookies in the afternoon. She doesn't say what kind of cookies. She probably, maybe she wasn't, um, you know, she didn't cook, so maybe she was, uh, um, wasn't picky about which well, cookies. What, whatever her mother-in-law made for her. That's true. Maybe they were peanut butter cookies since the peanut butter pie has such a – That could um, be. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I'll have to do a little research on what Adam's Ale is. Um, I think it's uh, – you know, I don't think either one of them were anti-drinking, you know, like totally anti-drink right. alcoholic beverages. Um, I think they recognize the – like anything in moderation, you know, or excess. Um, right, because they were – they urged health and moderation, fresh air, plenty of sleep, right. healthy vegetarian food. Right. Yep. So. But I love knowing she had a sweet tooth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And was sorrowful for a lazy pen. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that. That's yeah. delightful. Um, it, I think we just have about a minute left. But one of the things I've loved about this series is – Getting away from the one story, the single story of Myrtle. So we will get into the ex more experiential Myrtle when we come back after these messages. This is Voices of Unity. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate Today. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. So we're always into this thing called time. It's very hard to free ourselves from the pressure and the limitations and the boundary lines which time sets down. So that in partial experience, in human consciousness, we have what we call deadlines, which are an abomination in human experience. But in the whole of things, we have only alive lines. We live in eternity, and time is always now. In the eternal of you, there is a completed whole, there's a finished kingdom. And all that you do and seek to do is always complete in infinite mind. And as we say, it can be done in a twinkling of a second, or it can be done in hours, it can be done in days, or we can stew and fret about it all of our lives. In God, it is now done. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Experts say picking up a pen and paper and writing things down can have some amazing benefits. Spark some creativity by sketching, doodling, and writing down what you want in life with a set of Unity Inspiration Notepads. They come in three inspirational designs with themes of gratitude, intention setting, and visualization. These are great tools to keep on your desk and use every day. Just $12.99 for a set of three. Pick up yours today at unityonline.org shop. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Enroll in the Mystery School with Maggie Whitehouse every Monday at 2 p.m. Central. Based in the U.K., Maggie is a maverick priest, comedian, and writer that'll introduce you to all things mystical. Join in the conversation with some fascinating guests and explore topics like Kabbalah, the divine feminine, shamanism, and a lot more. Explore some new ideas and provocative topics, all delivered with a sense of humor. Check out our online schedule or get the podcast on demand here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. We are back with Voices of Unity. We're at the end of a series about Myrtle Fillmore, Unity's co-founder over 100 years ago, and we're with Reverend Kelly Isola, who's made a great study of Myrtle, and so she has promised us a healing meditation based on what Myrtle taught, or is, it, or is this a meditation she actually used? It's a meditation. She actually, <clears throat> she actually did. She, Charles would do the talks. She would do the meditation. Um, oh, and we have those. We have a couple, and this is one of my favorites. It's from uh, December 1922. Based on the Great Commission. 
when Jesus said, go forth and teach these things. Mm -hmm. Okay. In part. So what should we do? Start the meditation music? Yeah. So let me just, just a little, um, if you don't, um, if you're not sure, the Great Commission is, you know, in the the story of Jesus, he invites people to um, to go out, you know, to just move out. And so, what Myrtle is doing in this um, meditation is is you know mimicking that 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 you are sending out this healing light and energy, you know, to all the go out and disciple mm-hmm. right to the cells of your body, um, and go fearlessly, you know, in Christ in Christ's presence, and so um, uh, that's that's the the basis of it. And it's um, December nineteen twenty two, and um, I think that was if I was going to say something else, I don't remember. So, so it's just um, you know, as you listen to it, just just kind of follow the words and and follow where it goes in your body, and um, just. Uh, be with whatever comes up, be with whatever your thoughts come up, be with whatever feelings in your body come up, and just go there. We're going inside into the into our the home, into the house, she says, that we don't, the best room in the house that we rarely visit. Oh, okay. Remember in the old days, there was always that living room that was yes. perfect, but nobody was ever allowed? Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we'll start with some music. I'm going to ask you to go in spirit with me. Into this place that you have not used very much. Into this place that you have kept closed. As many do with the best room in their house. But this room is all ready for us to enter. This room is all ready for us to enter. And there is something in this room that we can find in no other place of our body house. Something that has in it everything that we are longing to have in our possession. Are we ready for the trip? Are we ready to go? Are we ready to go into this best room in the house? And so we step into it. We step into our body. Step into your heart space and close the door against the outer. Close the door against the outer world. The lesson today is where Jesus sent forth the 70. But we're going to take it in a different sense. We want now to do our ministry in this place that I am calling you to. 
And as we go into this place, into that inner room, it is lighted by the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So you will not be without light. We are going to address that light. For that light lights everyone that enters this place. For there is a spirit in every person. And in every person, this inspiration of the Almighty gives us understanding. And it is in this room where we want to go together to get this light, this understanding that is going to help us with our lesson today on how to live every moment of our lives. You know, we always have an audience. We always have an audience in this temple body of ours. There are millions of listeners to our messages. The cells of the body are all alive and they are listening to what we are speaking to them. And if we speak that which we get through this wonderful light, if we speak that which we get through this wonderful light, we are going to set them all aglow. We are going to set the cells of our body aglow with a joy that we may have never felt before. We are going to be glad to take this word with us into this place, into this moment now. And then we will take up the word that we are to go forth with. We will take up the word, the light. And speak that message to all the cells of the body that are alive, that are listening, that glow with the joy that some of us have never felt before. In this room, in this place, is the Christ Presence. In this room, in this place, is the Christ Presence. Now let these words drop into your stillness as you go forward to speak the word. I go forth fearlessly in Christ to the redemption of soul and body. I go forth fearlessly in Christ to the redemption of soul and body. I go forth fearlessly in Christ to the redemption of soul and body. 
And while we are here together, let us speak this word as one voice with one purpose and one heart. As one human, I go forth fearlessly in Christ to the redemption of soul and body. Amen. Very nice. So that's the kind of meditation Myrtle was leading in 1922. Sounds like today. It does. I confess there were two places I added an extra word. Okay. <laughs> and I changed man to human. Ah, uh-huh. Um, so I do have to give the caveat. I don't think she would be offended by that. No. She'd probably say, why didn't we think of that? What a good <laughs> idea. And then after this, in this meditation, they then would sing the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. um, which some churches do today. They do. There's a meditation and then there's, you know, the there's song. the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer or surely the presence or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just love the idea of sending forth that how I just when I first came across it, I'm like, oh, all the cells in my body are there's this massive audience. Like, I don't even have to try to speak out here. So there's an audience right listening to this radio show. But there's this audience within me, you know, every cell or just even if I just wanted to stick with my liver, how many audience members are in my liver? Right. Right. Or lungs or you know, eye trouble, whatever, but just speaking um, that there's an audience and listening. There was a book years ago called Your Body Hears Every Word You Say, Mm. which is true and a little scary, but those those cells are listening. Mm -hmm. And I think they're like children. They're trying to do what you say. So if you say you're ugly and sick... They mm-hmm. are. They do their best to be. Right, right. Which is why Myrtle apologized to her body for having said all those ugly things all those years mm-hmm. when she was sick. After she learned it comes from the inside out. Right, right. And, um, you know, in Myrtle's case, and certainly in mine, there's also the element of being told from the outside and bringing it in. Mm-hmm. Right? And as Because when you're three years old, there's no... There's no idea of I'm creating this in me and that you know, it's we're, you know, right. in being implanted you know, yes. with ideas. And then but then there comes a point in life where you take on, OK, now what do I do with it? And you first have to even notice that that you are saying things that uh, that need forgiveness. Um, you know, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. You know, when I when I first discovered, um, I once had a um, one of the most powerful, difficult healing things that went on that happened in my life was just I don't maybe eight, nine years ago. I was I was actually standing in the front of a room teaching some unity ministers about spiritual intelligence, and I had one of the ministers come up to me afterwards and tell me that I had no business standing in front of the room teaching this and teaching unity principles because I was overweight. <gasps> Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay then. Well, at the time I I just stood there like trying to pull the the knife out uh-huh. <laughs> of my heart and made it out of the room and made it out of the building and ran to someone else and sat in their office and just completely fell apart. 
And but what I realized, it took me a couple of years, but I it was about ten years ago. I realized that um, that this person had said out loud things I was saying. Right. I don't know if I had said it that way, that or or that I had no right standing up there. But mm-hmm. I realized that I I had my own self punishment going on about being overweight, um, and I'm still overweight. But it's it not you know I realized my upsetness was well he said out loud things that I'd already been saying. Um, Huge leap. I'm like, oh, you know, and you want to like, you know, love to hate the person. You want to like, oh, I can't believe like Mm -hmm. how cruel. It was cruel and it was mean. Mm -hmm. And I like in the story of Joseph, right? I can use it for good. I can use it for evil. So I managed to find a way to use it for good that to recognize how I'm talking to myself, how I'm talking to my body. And, you know, and Myrtle's idea of speaking to the body, words of love, words of kindness and forgiving, you know, I needed to act of forgiveness that, wow, Kelly, you really, you wouldn't say that to your best friend, the Uh things you say to yourself. Yeah. Uh, And for some of that, I turned to the Old Testament where I learned that you can be a wonderful spiritual teacher and not be perfect. Yes. That's why I love the Old Testament. Everybody is flawed. Mm-hmm. We get to the New Testament and, you know, try to prove Jesus was perfect. and Not even remotely. And it's a good thing spiritual teachers don't have to be perfect or we just wouldn't have any. Yep. And we have among unity ministers, recovering alcoholics and a couple who've been in prison and mm-hmm. everybody's got stuff. The brighter the light, the deeper the shadow. That's you think that's mantra. really true? I think in a lot of cases it is. Yeah. Um, some of the brightest lights, like Gandhi, bright mm-hmm. light, um, did not treat his wife very well. Mm-hmm. Um, deep shadow. Um, I don't know if it's always true, but it's um, it for me. It's a good mantra. Um, it's a good motto. It's a good mascot, right? I'll use yeah. the confidence's word. It's a good mascot for me to bring along to remind myself that there isn't a perfection thing. That and it's through my humanity that 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 divinity shows up. Yes, it's how divinity is made known to to me, to people around me, is through my humanity. So I could probably loosen up on myself a little bit. You mentioned earlier in the show, talking to Myrtle during one of your near death experiences, and I know you've mentioned that illness before on this show, but I don't know if you told about talking to Myrtle. Maybe I didn't. So I um, I was in the hospital for a few weeks, um, gravely ill. I wasn't supposed to survive. And the middle week I was in ICU and some life support. And, and I would, um, at least two near-death experiences um, where I knew that I was uh, sort of dancing with that veil between worlds and had conversations with um, a few people. Um, uh, one, and one of them was Myrtle. And I don't, and every time I say it out loud, I'm like, oh, someone's going to think I'm a total whack job, you know, or there's something, you know, that, oh, she's that woo-woo new age, you know, I just, and so that's more of that conversation that needs forgiveness and healing, Mm -hmm. like, you know, sort of talking about myself, but she just was very clear, like, what do you want to do? She was, she was how I have discovered Myrtle to be, direct, compassionate, but direct. Um, There's no pink frosting. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? And at the time, it was which world do you want to live in? And since then, it has evolved. In because when I'm going through things in archives and I'm typing up some of her glorious penmanship that can't be read, um, I'm I'm visiting with her. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just sort of um, in my own way, just kind of being with the energy of it. And so that question, what do you want to do, has evolved into what do I want to give my life to? Mm-hmm. And so every day is an exercise, as I call it, you know, for three years, I've been working my way back to the land of the living um, because it's you are permanently altered by near-death experiences in some ways that are highly traumatic, some ways that are very peaceful, some ways that are just exceedingly mysterious and you're lost in your own backyard. So I've taken that question on what do you want to give your life to um, because I think Myrtle asked – I don't know if she ever asked that specific question, but it seemed to be a driving you know, thread for her of – what am I doing? What am I giving to the world? What do I want to give my life to? And for me, that's a bigger question than what's my passion or where's my area of giftedness? Mm-hmm. And it, it really helps me every day say that's not it. you know. And Because some days I think we're like, I don't know what, but I know that isn't. Like right, some days sure. we know what not. Mm-hmm. But to what do I want to give my life to um, really works me to be focused on where is the – where's – the energy. Where's where is my healing work today? Um, so that's the my eternal question, and I it comes up over and over when I when I read, you know, through Myrtle, and um, it's uh, you know it's the whole um, uh, you know the, the, I'll go back to the Ave Maria thing, and you know she changed the words, and the last sentence she she changes to is help us to aid each other in life's service everywhere. All right, so we have to hear Myrtle's lyrics to Ave Maria. (laughs) Okay. Mighty and lowly, pure and most holy, bear in thy loving heart our prayer. Though faithless friends may grieve us, wealth and fortune leave us, great is thy love and comforting thy tender care. When eyes are tearful, when our hearts are fearful, grant us more love, more trust, more earnest aid in prayer. Sorrow has no place in thee. Gracious is thy ministry. Teach us thy patient, tireless love to share. Mother, virtue defied. Mercy in thee glorified. Bear in thy loving heart my prayer. Sorrow flee away from thee. Pain and care no more can be. Teach us thy gracious, patient love to share the grace of bearing, the joy of sharing. Help us to aid each other in life service everywhere. Oh, nicely done. I know. It might be heretical, but it's pretty good. It is. Yeah. What did she say about mother? How did she? She says, mother, with an exclamation point, virtue defied, mercy in thee glorified. Mother, huh? Was she talking, you think she was calling God mother? I don't know. I don't know. I, Mary, I don't know if she was hearkening. Was it Mary? Right. I don't know if she's connecting it to Mary. Mm-hmm. I don't, Or I don't know if, I don't know what to write for that line. <laughs> it happens to writers. Um, mother, you know, virtue defied, um, mercy in thee glorified. And all three of those, they, each one ends with an exclamation mm-hmm. point. Um so I, I, part of me thinks it's not necessarily Mary specifically as much as mother energy, as mother, you know, right. the the virtue of mother, the um, 
the merciful, the feminine energy of mother, of mm-hmm. um, mercy and patience and compassion and all of those, um, you know, in the original, you know, Ave Maria is Hail Mother, right? But Mother Mary and how do you extrapolate out from that? Mm-hmm. Um, because she, she writes, you know, the words are kind of um, vague, not vague, but not um, – doesn't sound as directed to a person as original Ave Maria does. Um, but it's more of a, you know, grant us more love, more trust, more aid in our prayer. Um, so it's, so I don't know that it's speaking to Mary as much as the mother energy of God. But I'm totally making that up. That's what I'd like <laughs> it to mean. That's and the thing about when you research, you have to be clear with people. <laughs> yeah, and ends with service, which you yes! mentioned when we talked about service. I know. Service as a part of healing. Yep. Help us to aid each other in life service everywhere. It occurs to me in her day, service to others was the only kind of service people got. This was mm-hmm. pre-Roosevelt. There was no Social Security, no welfare, no right. job programs. So you were – if you were in need, you were really dependent on the people who knew you. Yes, family, neighbors, mm-hmm. people in your church. It just wasn't really – I think there's quite a bit of maybe an upper class, but but you know middle class, lower class. It wasn't really optional. You just did it. Right. You just – someone was hungry, you gave them a meal. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Myrtle, then you send them to your mother-in-law for a meal. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just wasn't – it just – this is what you do. Um, and she also is very clear not to – that when you – when people offer you support, you're not really in a position to turn them down. Like you don't get to – you don't get to deny someone the gift of them giving to you. Yeah. So we have maybe three minutes left and I'm wondering how to wrap up this series. Mm. Are there life lessons we can take from Myrtle? Are there – Two or three things we can do to be more like her, practice what she preached. Well, one of my favorite, um, I don't know, but one of my, there's a few things that that come to mind for me. And out of one of her writings, um, she uses the line, I am visible as an apostle of power and love. I am visible as an apostle of power and love. And I that I really love that statement because I think that's what we're doing, and in part because power and love need to go together. Mm-hmm. You know, power without love is you know oppression is like power right. over. Right. And love without power becomes sentimentality and pink frosting, and mm-hmm. um, but the two of them together is changes the world, whether just me individually or you know being out here. So being an apostle, right, is a carrying a message, having a prophetic voice, speaking to when you see something, say something mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that's a, um, if I had to, you know, pick a mascot, another mascot, um, you know, our motto, I'm an apostle, a visible, a visible apostle of power mm-hmm. and love. So I don't get to do it all in the secrecy of a cave. Oh, I have to do it out in the world. I do. Yeah. Yes. The world needs me. There's an expectation. Okay, and then I guess also keep learning. Like, don't don't assume that what you know is what is. Like, keep asking. You know, recognize where. Oh, oh, I realized I just adopted someone's story of something. Maybe I could go find out more. 
mm-hmm. um, and learn more. Um, Myrtle was a big fan of education. Not everything, some of our information comes exterior, some interior. It's different kinds of information, but we need both. Right. Yeah. And that's what we learned in the first show, that she was not just praying all the time. She was highly educated and well-read. Yes. And treasured intellect as much as Charles, at least as much. Yes, absolutely. And he just tried to keep up with her. (laughs) Now, that's heresy. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. I'll live with it. <laughs> but I love that. Yeah. His, um, just And keeping in mind that, that we have to also evolve her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not, not to concretize and crystallize that, you know, having clarity on what some some of those threads that don't change are, you know, and again, it's like, well, who gets to decide? Well, we each do, you know, because we we demonstrate the truth we believe, you know, and and and, but also, if we are to stay relevant, um, we there has to it's the relevance and reverence paradox, right? To be relevant, um, you have to maintain some reverence for what has been, and you also, but you also have to evolve it. What does it mean today? Yes. Perfect. So, Kelly Isola, thank you so much for this series on Myrtle. You're welcome. It's been fascinating. Next week, we're going to start a series based on Pride Month and spend a few weeks talking about the gay issues of the day and people who are involved in that work. So we'll be back next week with more from Voices of Unity. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.